Welcome to Bible Talk with Jane and Shannon. I'm Jane. And I'm Shannon. And today our title and our topic is mental illness. A topic that is like one of my favorite topics to talk about. Mental illness right now is is a hot topic in the United States in general. A lot of people talking about it. Um, Probably not as much as we should and not, not as much as we should in the church. I think there's a real issue with that and the stigma that goes with it. Uh, not only in society, but also in the church. Oh, right. Well, I want to talk about the stigma of mental illness. Um, this is briefly from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health. The reason why there's uh, stigma. So it's all the way back from history, okay? So a millennia-long history of social exclusion and prejudices. For millennia, people with mental illness were imprisoned, tortured, killed, in the Middle Ages, they were seen, it was seen as a punishment from God if you had a me- mental illness. In Nazi Germany, hundreds of thousands were murdered or sterilized, people with mental illnesses. And I, this is, this is Jane's opinion, I think all this is based in fear, arrogance, and the need for us to, have to be able to explain things. Because a lot of mental illnesses, they do, they're hard to explain, and they... But we want to. We want the answers. Well, that's one of the challenges that we have in modern society. We're learning more and more about the brain. We're learning more and more about um, the effects of different things in the brain and how uh, formation and, and the way it fires. And we're not still not even starting to scratch that surface. No, because the brain is so complex. Here, this is a soci- sociologist, Erwin Goffman. Or Kaufman, I think it's Goffman. He wrote in 1963, and he's the first one who wrote a book describing mental illness. Before that, it was just kind of wishy-washy. But he wrote this, and this is still applicable today. Mm-hmm. There is no country, society, or culture where people with mental illness have the same societal value as people without a mental illness. Oh, that's. I think... That's kind of sad, okay? so Well, and if we look at less developed societies, uh, less developed um, people groups throughout the world right now, uh, there's still a belief that mental illness is demonic possession, things like that. I'm not denying that demonic possession could happen, but what I'm saying is that sometimes it is automatically turned to that, and a lot of times these are uh, are people that have been um, traumatically affected by something, and then their behavior afterwards is is uh, just put off to something that is not only beyond control of the people around them, but um, something that they don't want to have with them. Uh, mental illness was considered to be contagious for a long time. And that, I mean, how ludicrous is that? Yeah, and let me, okay, maybe I should give a little definition, though we're assuming people know what mental illness is, though it has... As many as people who have mental illness, that's the way it shows itself. So, But mental illness is an illness that affects the way people think, feel, behave, or interact with others, which is uh, simple. And I want to give just a few types. There's all sorts of types. But briefly, a few types are mood disorders. And those are the ones that, that get a lot of the attention and that can be really serious, just like mm-hmm. depression, bipolar disorder, uh, there's anxiety disorders, eating disorders, personality disorders, psychotic disorders like that. That includes schizophrenia. And um, you men- mentioned demonic possession. So I have a little list of what a 
mental illness is not one a mental illness is not demonic possession or oppression mental illness two mental illness is not a sin three mental illness is not worse than any other condition as in you don't get a black mark because maybe you deal with mental illness while your spouse has like a heart disease or something it's just another sickness another illness four mental illness is not a sign of immaturity five mental illness is not all that defines a person and six mental illness is not a weakness of character that was jane's list of six things sure well and Mental illness is not a new thing, and it's not a new thing in the church within Christianity either. Uh, Charles Spurgeon suffered from severe anxiety, depression, um, things like that, that throughout his life, and he spoke about it openly. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, in a sermon that he called The Fear of Death, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he was quoted as saying, there are certain forms of disease which so affect the brain and the whole nervous system that depression is a melancholy symptom of the disease. And he also said, I would not blame all those who are much given to fear, for in some it is rather their disease than their sin, and more their misfortune than their fault. So even back in the, in the 19th century, we had a very Boy, prominent... Boy, really smart to Well, and a very understand. prominent pastor speaking from the pulpit about this, which is not something we hear of very often today. No. <clears throat> uh, you within know what? the church, a mental illness is still an uncomfortable subject. I think people are... They don't understand it, and sometimes, um, I quit saying, um, sometimes some symptoms of mental illness can be very uncomfortable to deal with, mm-hmm. and they can be scary sometimes, or they can just be so, you don't know what to do, they make you feel helpless, so it's a lot easier to just ignore it. And just, or we have that American mentality where, okay, I can make myself better because it's the mental thing. You know, this is, it's all in the mind. Well, and that's not just an American mentality. I think that can also be, in some cases, some people would see that almost as a Christian mentality. You know, you could pray it away, things like that. But what we have to understand is that an, an affliction of the brain is no different than any affliction anywhere else in the body. Right. And prayer is always helpful, and God can. Use prayer to heal everything. However, if someone is not healed, that's not because their prayer is not strong enough, something like that. God may just be choosing not to do that. Paul talked about the thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it's something that he asked God to take from him, and God didn't take it. So whatever that was, God intended to let him keep that for a purpose. I will say one of the... uh I'm at the very end. I want to list some resources that I wrote down, and I also put them on my personal website, janehenricks.weebly.com, the mental illness page. But I read a book called uh, by Kay Redfield Samson called "Touched, Touched with Fire," and it's and it, her book calls it manic depressive rather than bipolar. It was before. They call it bipolar. But when I read that, that book has really convinced me that, and I don't know if uh, Kay Redfield Samson is, or Jameson, sorry, Jameson, can't read my writing. 
I don't know if she's a Christian. I don't know her belief. I don't know anything. But what God used that book in my life, I think someone with a bipolar brain, that's how God created that person. And the it, that doesn't mean you can't get better and you can learn how to deal with your own bent, your own mental illness where it's kind of controlled or you know what your triggers are. You have to manage it just like anyone has to manage other things in their lives. But I... Her her premise in that book was that there's a really high percentage of creative people that have mental illness. Now, she wasn't saying that you have to have a mental illness to be creative. That would be, we're all creative in some ways. So that she was not saying that, but she was saying that there's something to it, that there was a lot of artists, writers that were either uh, dealt with major depression or bipolar disease, like we can think of uh, Vincent Van Gogh or Vincent Van Gogh, however you say that. Mm. You know, he he very likely had bipolar disease. You know, they didn't talk about it back then that way. But uh, yeah, and looking at this from a Christian's perspective again, I, I look at uh, Psalm one thirty nine. Oh, that's a good one. Go ahead. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That concept of the fact that, yes, some of us are different um, than others, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. It's no different than the color of your eyes or your height or your ability to do things. Everything is different. And the functioning of the brain is no more different. Some people are born with uh, the ability to run faster than anyone else. And they become professional athletes doing something like that. They're, they train hard. They work hard at perfecting that skill. But they have a, a definite genetic advantage that makes that possible. I don't care how much I train, I will never be able to run like Usain Bolt. It just isn't going to happen. Who? Usain Bolt, the Jamaican world record sprinter. Oh, okay. But he has the ability to do that, not just because of his training and his mindset and what he wants to do, but also because he was blessed by God with the ability to do that. Yeah. We are all different in the ways we've been created. Each of us are unique. There is no cookie cutter. There is no perfect, which means if there is no perfect... There is no imperfect. Right. So, personally, I have epilepsy. I had a seizure. 2012, December. 2012, so that would have been eight years ago. I had I had a seizure then, and I've had a couple since then, but I had none before that. Our son, Hawkins has a seizure disorder that his brain is constantly firing in seizures. Oh, okay, let me, little, about the seizure stuff. I've heard that pe- people who have seizures are more intelligent than others. Their brain has so much power that... You'll remember that next time you're telling me I'm wrong. Yeah, um, well, you know. <laughs> but I remember distinctly when I went to the to the uh, neurologist for the very first time after having this first seizure, they thought it was a heart issue or something and it had nothing to do with that. It was just a seizure and they, and they took the EEG and they looked at my brain and they said, oh yeah, there's seizure activity in there. And I said, well, what are we going to do about it? She said, well, We'll put you on medication. I said, for how long? And she said, she just looked at me like I was ignorant and said, well, forever. forever. Because once you have it, it, it doesn't go away. Okay. 
And with medication, it's completely controlled, and there's no issue there whatsoever. And no one needs to know it unless I say something to them that it's a, that I have. But epilepsy. you know what? Seizure disorder, epilepsy, is a, is similar in that there's kind of a stigma with that too. Let's go back to mental illness. But what I wanted to say about mental illness, I would hope, I hope one day in the church, especially, but also in society, but I. I, I wish the church would lead on this, but remember, churches are just made up of a lot of people. So we all live in the same world, and there's stigma of mental illness. So obviously, excuse me, there'll be stigma in the church because we're made up of people. But what I hope one day is that it will be just as easy to talk about, oh, yeah, my my mental illness or my bipolar flared up last week, so I'm dealing with it. As is someone said, oh... I had high blood sugar with my diabetes yesterday, so I had to eat some sugar, or I had to take some insulin, or, you know, like, or I have a cold. I mean, I, not that we have to talk about our medical issues, but I, I hope one day it could be just so easy to talk about, because uh, I have a, it says here, Depending, this is from the NobaProject.com, and that is, they have a, uh, I just found, it looks like a great website, but they, they have information about all sorts of stuff, but they had this um, history of medical, uh, mental illness, and they said, depending on how people view mental illness is how treatment will be approached. So if, and they even said, sadly, that you'd think that the medical professionals would be very open to mental illness, you know, want to help or something. But they said even mental, uh, even some medical professionals don't want to deal with mental illness. And the weird thing, they said even psychiatrists who you'd think want to. So, Well, and there was a study done uh, by Lifeway Research, uh, a study on acute mental illness and, and the Christian faith. And with the study, they went through and they interviewed uh, pastors, a certain number of pastors. They interviewed people that uh, were diagnosed with mental illness, and they interviewed the families. Okay. And it's interesting to me the things that came out of that. And I've read some some other stories on mental illness, too. And we think of mental, mental illness as being something very selective and very rare, and it's actually not. Um, one in five Americans are... are We'll deal with mental illness. We'll deal with mental illness at, at some point in time. Was that um, from the Lifeway? Uh, that was, yeah, and a couple other ones. Oh, yeah, mentalhealth.gov said the same thing. Right. That's what, yeah. But another thing that, they, that was interesting in here is they were talking about the number of pastors who had dealt with or knew of someone within their congregation that was dealing with mental illness. And that is a two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Because... From one perspective, it could be someone denying that it exists, and another one could be someone who is not sharing that they have the issue. Right. But one of the interesting things that came out with me is they said that, um, of course, the larger your congregation, the more chances you know someone in your congregation has that because you had just a law of averages. Um, but they also said that uh, pastors age 65 and older mm-hmm. were less likely to say that they had anyone with that in oh, there. So embarrassed for well, the person. Because, well, I think also because it's a generational thing, we're getting more comfortable with it, mm-hmm. more aware of it as we go. But also, the same study came out, and 23% of the pastors 
said that they themselves dealt with mental illness, ah. which was about statistically correct. Right. So I thought that was an honest, honest portrayal there. But sometimes we have to think about that, too. I know uh, one very good psychologist that just passed away last week that I dealt with in a law enforcement perspective. Um, he was, uh, he did Shannon a was a cop. He wasn't in jail. No, I was a, I was a police officer for 17 years. Mm-hmm. But he did a lot of the interviewing and things like that for a lot of agencies around the state. Just a, a wonderful man. And I remember sitting down with him, and he, he told me, he said that he is clinically depressed. He, was in, he had acute depression um, himself which was one of the reasons he got into psychology mm-hmm. because he had to deal with it himself in his own life. So as we look at these things and we, and we realize this, it's, it is all around us. If, if one in five people are going to deal with this and mm-hmm. you know more than three people, right? or if you know five people and you don't know anybody, it might be you. I want to share, let me share a few really quick statistics. That's true. It might be you. Uh, a mental illness can be acute or chronic. So some people, chronic means they have it like forever or most of the time. And acute means it's right then and it's temporary. So maybe you typically, go ahead, what? It's temporary, but it may be, that may be a life-changing acute moment in your life. Right. Not saying that being acute is not, having an acute episode is not a serious episode. It may be the one and only episode in someone's life, but it may lead them to do something drastic. Right. So we have to deal with it, whether, whether it's, that's why we all need to know the signs. So if, because something could happen in a person's life and that, that could just be the right trigger to send them into a deep depression, a clinical depression where they really need to get help. And if we, if we feel embarrassed about getting help, that could endanger someone's life. And it, it could, in an uh, individual situation like that, it could be something, um, grief. Yeah. Mourning of something, a loss of something, not necessarily even a death, but um, a broken marriage, a broken relationship of some sort, a loss of a job. Um, any kind of financial setback, all of those things can bring on about a, of what a psychologist would say was clinical depression. And that can happen to anyone at any point in time in their life, whether they're Christian or not. So the concept that we have to keep an eye out for and we have to, we have to watch for is the fact that um, we, we are on a knife's edge at all times. At and any point in time, this could happen to anyone. Now... If you've never had clinical depression, and I think this is sometimes some of the problem, is that some people think, oh, I'm so depressed, when in reality they're just a little bit sad or down or whatever. But there's a huge difference with clinical depression. You can't get out of it yourself. I mean, it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks where if it was something else that was hurting you that bad, you would definitely go see a doctor. So we need get to we need to get to the point, especially as Christian believers, we need to be in the front line in this. We need to get to the point where if someone we can tell they're seriously depressed. We don't try to go, oh, be happy, be happy. We like, why don't you get some help? You know, or and that could be medication for a short time, maybe for six months, and that could be you go to a doctor and start the process to get some help. But I want to share a few little things, little statistics, and I want to share a story real quick. Okay. okay. One in ten young people experience a major depression. So, especially, and I'm guessing young people, they're, when I read young people, I guess I think teens, 
And you know, teens are so volatile in their emotions. I mean, if we if we miss one of these, that could end up in suicide. One in twenty five Americans live lived with a serious mental illness. Only and now another little myth is that mental mentally ill people are more violent than others, mm-hmm. but only three to five percent of violent acts can be attributed to people living with a serious mental illness. And there's another part of that statistic is actually people that are suffering from mental yeah, illness are more part. likely to be a victim. They are over 10 times more likely yes. to be victims of violent crime than the general population. So okay. we need to wipe that away. And They're not violent. And unfortunately, in our own society, we have kind of allowed this to happen. Um, in a legal aspect, it's happened a lot. Someone can do a horrific act and plead temporary insanity or or some sort of uh, temporary impairment yeah. that causes them to do something. Um, there was the, the episode with the teen who killed someone, uh, killed four people when he was uh, driving drunk, had a blood alcohol level through the roof, and was given probation for it uh, because they claimed he had affluenza. What's that? Well, he was too wealthy to know better. Oh, my God. And the court golly. actually bought that. Now, is that a mental illness? No. Uh, I think it's poor judgment. I don't think it's a mental illness. But we can't we can't dismiss our behavior because or by saying that someone has something that they don't. And unfortunately, I think that that um, minimizes the people that really truly are dealing with with issues that uh, with mental health issues. It it can. It can it can trivialize that because of something like this, and that's not at all what we need to be doing. Instead, we need to be looking deeper into um, how we can help someone that is do, dealing this. And I think one of the best ways we can do it is just make it um, an open conversation, yes. something that we talk about, something we bring forward, both in the church as well as outside the church. Mm-hmm. I think in the church, it's something. I mean, how many times have you heard a pastor talk about mental mental illness from a pulpit? doesn't happen very often. No, and one time... But why not? Well, I don't know. Why not? We need to. Two things. First, one time, and I was amazed how many people came up to me. We don't have a big church. You know, I don't know, sometimes 40 people maybe. But I shared, I was a couple, was it just two years ago? I was really in a dark depression for... A long time, and I really felt I needed to go up there. We, we, if someone wants to share something in our church, they're welcome to come up before Shannon preaches, you know, and share whatever's on their heart. And, and I shared with them how I was dealing with a depression and that I was trusting God to help me get out of it, but how I was just honest with what I was dealing with. And I had a, quite a few people come up to me and say, That really touched me. And, and I think what touched them was that I was vulnerable about. What I was dealing with. What are you going to laugh at? I think so too, but I think that's also there is a little bit of Christian speak there. What that really touched me might also mean I identify with that, but they don't oh. say I identify. No, no, with no. That. Maybe they said that, but I don't, or I understood what you mean. I can't remember what. Sometimes they, said. they say that really touched me, and it means that was personal to me because yeah. myself, someone in my family, well, something that's else. What I always think when I say touch. So I'm they, sorry. I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't say touch. You'll bless but your heart. Really, yeah, no. <laughs> Don't say bless your heart. That means someone's stupid. And um, that's what my kids say. I'm not quite sure where we got that. But uh, 
But I wanted to share a quick story, okay? Yeah. I'm not going to go into tons of detail, but I personally have bipolar disorder. And I guess that is why it's so close to my heart. Because it took me a long time to go ahead and get diagnosed. And once I got medication, it made the world a difference. And now I want to... I've had someone in my family, not Shannon, say, Oh, you're happy pills. They're not happy pills. Antidepressants or brain medication is what I call them. They don't make you high. They just allow you to be yourself. They just allow you to to get out of your your prison of your own mind and you can just live and do what God calls you to do. And I I so wish that and I know I had this bipolar when I was a teenager, but that was not something back then we ever discussed and I mean I there's so many times I I think my life and I have a wonderful life but I wish I had been diagnosed decades before I was diagnosed and I want to share and just as because I'm sharing my story that I do have bipolar bipolar disorder and it's most of the time controlled don't you think it's most of the time most of the time But we, Shannon is, let me just read my list. Okay, as someone with bipolar disorder, here's what I think you should do. So if you suspect that you personally have a mental illness and you've never had it diagnosed, but you know something is going on in the brain, okay, this is what Jane says you should do. I'm not a doctor, I'm just Jane, okay. I'm a mom. All right, all right, all right, okay. What you should do. First, get diagnosed, Go pursue a diagnosis, okay? Two, get treatment. So when you find out what the diagnosis is, then you can get true get treatment. Okay, that's on that's two. And I have got some scripture, but I'm just gonna read my list first. Three, learn about yourself so you know what works for you. I know what I know at least a few things that will trigger my episodes, alright? So I just try to avoid those things. Four This is a big one for everyone in the whole world. You are not a victim. Okay, if you have mental illness, you're not a victim. You learn, you take responsibility for your own illness, and you learn what you need to do to live in society. Now, that doesn't mean not all people with mental illness can live on their own, or you just got to find out what works for you. But that doesn't, but it also means that people that are challenged with a mental illness, that does not mean they cannot be. Constructive members of society, just oh, just yeah. the opposite. They're no different than if someone has diabetes or something that is a, a that is could be a lifelong situation they live with for their whole life. They deal with it their whole life. It doesn't change uh, the worth or the value of that person. No, people with mental illness can do anything. I mean, you know, if God's given them the smarts to whatever. Number five, your mental illness is not your fault. Don't be condemning yourself. I used to for. Years I go, oh, I hate my brain, I hate my brain, I hate my brain. If it was all acting up, what a waste of time. Six, remember this is Jane's list, six, it is your responsibility to deal with it and get coping mechanisms in place. That doesn't mean you can't have help, but you have to take responsibility to figure out to get the right treatments, to get your right coping mechanisms, and also take your medication that you have as prescribed. Notice what triggers your episodes, avoid this, and eight, it does help if you have someone in your life who can recognize episodes, who can recognize something's going on, because sometimes that, you don't. 
And that I think is is that would if I was going to add anything to yours, I would add that one little caveat on the end also. You find all these things out, share it with someone. Yeah. Share it with someone who will be your support structure, whether that is a pastor. Uh, definitely, I would recommend you share it with your spouse so that there's an understanding of what's going on. Or a best friend if you don't have a spouse. Someone that someone that you can trust to say, I'm having one of those days, I'm having a bad day. Or someone who can tell you, I think you're having one of those days. You may not see it coming on yourself, but someone who loves you enough sees the change in behavior and can say, I think, right. I think this, is a, this is something you need to deal with. Because it, there are times, and by definition, there are times during uh, a manic episode, something like that, where you may not identify that. Right. The depression is easier to identify than the manic time. And sometimes you just need someone who loves you to be there to help you and support you through that. One of the things that Jane does, I'm going to bring this out. Um, she didn't mention it there, but it's something that is has been recommended for all sorts of things. But in, in a case of mental illness, I think it would be invaluable. Jane has journaled more than all of her adult life. She has journaled for a very long time on oh, a daily God. basis. She, it's just, she does it daily, automatically. If you don't, and you think this is something that you're going through, start. Today I feel this. Mm-hmm. Today, this is this bothered me that this happened to me today. These things, write them down so that you can go back and say, you know what, ten days of the last month, I was so sad I could not function. That means you probably need to go and get someone to help you because that would be something that they would look at as a clinical diagnosis. If you go to a doctor and say, sometimes I just don't feel happy, that's not the same thing. No, I, I want to read a psalm. Yeah. Psalm 51.6 says, Behold... Thou dost desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me know wisdom. So I think, you know, we seek truth, understanding, diagnosis to deal with it. But also, there is a there is another thing I want to mention, is that mental illness can be genetic. So, let's say you're a, a parent, you need to get a handle on it for yourself, and also for your own kids, because if you have uh, biological children, one of them or some of them might deal with it themselves personally. And so you, or also, even if you don't have kids, there are people in your life who need you. And you, with a mental illness, you, how God created you. So you're worth it to do all these steps. You're worth it. And it's also a wonderful thing for those, um, for, I think, an awareness that everyone should have because it may not be you personally, but it may be someone you love, maybe someone you care about. It may have affected your relationship. Maybe if you had a parent with mental illness that was never diagnosed and your relationship with that parent is uh, Bad. fractured, understanding the fact that this is what they may have been going through can heal a lot of wounds. You know, I want to ask a, a question. I don't know if I've ever asked this. What is it like for you to be married to someone with bipolar disease? I mean... I think the, the answer to that is that it's no different for me than, than any other thing as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, it's The challenge for me was getting to the point where I understood it 
and getting to the point where you understood it and that we could work on it together. And I think that's what we do is we work on it together. Yeah, understanding is really important. Because when I, under, when I understand it, then I can be patient. Yeah. When I understand what's going on, I can, I can understand what's going to happen next. Um, I think that's also, even personally, when I understand, I can be more patient with myself. And I don't waste time condemning myself. I just get on with trying to deal with it and get past whatever. There's an openness that comes through communication of these things and just openly openly talking about it that um, is very important. And openly talking about it when it is not during the midst of a, of a severe episode, talking about it when it's not that episode is important. So that someone was, would say, you know, this might happen and I want you to understand what's happening to me when this is happening. So if someone is in a close relationship with you, no different than me with epilepsy. If I were to have a seizure uh, in public when I'm teaching at the high school, um, it might freak people out if they've never seen a seizure before. Mm -hmm. We had a young lady, a student, a junior high student that had a seizure in class, and it bothered a lot of people, including a lot of the teachers, who just had never had to deal with it before. They didn't know what to do. Um, luckily for me, because they knew about my son, not about me, uh, I got called in, mm -hmm. and I helped deal with it, and we had another lovely person that works at the school that has a very soft heart and was an EMT and knows the concept and the, seat and the symptoms, but that discussion then came, rose from there because we had a classroom full of kids. I want to share. So we, we discussed it after that, and that took away all the stigma that that, yeah. that young lady had at school. No one can, you know, it would be no different than... Uh, any other illness that someone has, if they're dealing with an episode in that illness, you deal with it and you move on with life. I think the problem, though, with like mood disorders, as in bipolar or depression or something, because they deal with the moods and we all have moods, for some reason we either, okay, the people who don't have it at the time and it's they're dealing with the person who's having this mood problem, they either take it personally or people think since it's dealing with the mood, a mood disorder, we can fix that mood. Like if you're a little sad, go have some chocolate ice cream and you can fix it. But well, there are times when if it's not a disorder and you just want to be grumpy that day, you've got to get over yourself. There are right. times that is not what we're talking about. It's right. not for everything. Um, another quote from Spurgeon. I just love these quotes from him, so I'm going to bring another one up. Especially judge not the sons and daughters of sorrow. Allow no ungenerous suspicions of the afflicted, the, the poor, and the despondent. Do not hastily say they ought to be more brave or exhibit a greater faith. Ask not, why are they so nervous and so absurdly fear, fearful? No, I beseech you, remember that you understand not your fellow man. Mm, that's really good. But I did not know that about him. From a from a application perspective now, we've okay. talked about... Well, I did give my, you know. Yeah, you've talked about it from an, from an individual perspective, but I right. want to also talk about it from the perspective on the outside dealing in. Okay. If we are in a relationship, or if we are a pastor, or if we are a, a church member, and someone in our congregation comes to us and says, I think I might have, or mm -hmm. someone exhibits signs that you think may be a situation where it's, it's time to... Um, have some sort of intervention and say, hey, I think something's going on. Don't be afraid to do that. Just do but it. But also help them seek outside help. I don't think this is something that unless I am not 
a clinical psychologist. I don't pretend to be. I don't ever. That is not me. However, if I was, if someone came to me and said, I am just terribly depressed, my first thing would be to pray with them, and then I would not let go of their hand before I got them some medical help as well to look at this. It has to be two-sided. Right. Now, can a Christian be a Christian with mental illness? Of course. That, that shouldn't even be a question in our minds. Can a Christian whose mental illness is causing bad behavior still be a Christian? Of course. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. There is nothing, there's nothing there that the rest of us aren't guilty of in, in, in the same way. But the problem that we have is that the person who is dealing with that, if they are not um, controlling it, whether it's through medication, through counseling, whatever it is, if they are not doing that, they are harming themselves. Mm-hmm. And they are hurting themselves. And if we do not embrace them while they in a, in a state where they might hurt themselves then we will be rejecting them. That's it. That's all there is. If you are in a state of being where you are depressed, angry, overwhelmed by a mental illness, and someone does not embrace you, they are repelling you. Yeah. And we are going to drive people that desperately need our help out of the church Mm -hmm. when instead we should be reaching out and dragging them in. Jesus said, I came to heal the sick. I came for those that needed me. When he came to this earth and he went and healed everyone, he didn't heal them because he was getting paid for it. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't a this. He wasn't that. He did it because that's where his compassion lied. He looked at them and said they needed the healing. And he came for spiritual healing, but he dealt with the physical healing as well. Mm-hmm. And that in, that in those situations, as we look through the Gospels and we see the times when Jesus reached out and he healed, healed people... He oftentimes healed them physically, and we don't know anything else that happened afterwards. We don't know what happened next in their lives. We don't know what happened mentally with them after that. But we do know that physically he dealt with that. And when he did that, he did it because he loved the person enough to say, at least let me take that burden off of you. Mm. And he picked that up from them. And I think that, as a Christian outlook on mental illness, I think that needs to be our... Our goal is we need to seek the people that need the help. Mm-hmm. We don't need to wait for them to seek us. We need to seek the people that need the help. We need to be going towards those, those, those people that we see that are struggling, that might be marginalized on the edge of society, that may not be dealing well with daily life. Go to them and say, hey, I love you because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. And that's why I love you. And I don't know you, but I love you. And I want to help you. And this is why I want to help you. Because this, because this man that walked the earth was the son of God and he died for both of us. And I want, to, I want to share that with you. But I also want to help you here right now. Physically, mentally, everything I can do. We need to reach out and embrace them. And it is so easy for us to dismiss someone. Mm-hmm. And just let it go and say, you know what, they're just beyond me. Well, we're all beyond what we can handle. Yeah, but no one's beyond Jesus. No one's beyond what and God so, can put our hands on. Okay, we're almost 40 minutes, so... Yeah, this is could, a little longer than normal, but this well, is a pretty passionate one for yeah, us. Yeah, and we could we could probably do a whole other hour. We're not going to. Uh, so, if you need help, get help. Oh, we got to end. Yeah, just, 
Uh, no, I'm just going to... Finish your thought. Okay. you got a thought finish. I, I just want... Just, it's really important to get help if you need help. And if someone in your family needs help or some a friend, they need to get help, get treated, and then keep on the treatment and trust Jesus to help them learn how to deal with the mental illness. And don't be afraid to talk about it. it we need to talk about it. Anyway, I guess that's we it. We need to talk about it. Yes, you need to seek help. You need to get treatment. You need to maintain that. Constantly, just like my, my seizure medication, it's there. It'll probably always be there, so let's just treat it. It'll go on with life. And we also need to treat the spiritual aspects that come with that. The isolation, the division, the fear, the self-loathing, all those things that people dealt with until they were treated yeah, hasn't gone away. True. And they need to be brought in with us in love to God. So, thanks for listening. Uh, share our podcast with other people. We're found on like almost everywhere you can find podcasts. iHeartRadio, iTunes, Comcast, Spotify, wherever. Anyway, thanks for listening and we hope to hope we'll you come to you back again. next week. Bye-bye. God bless.